Radio 3. Morning and welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. This is Peter Lewis with the day's business headlines for Tuesday, the 9th of August. The time's 8.03 here in Hong Kong. Hong Kong Chief Executive John Lee has announced that from Friday, people arriving in the city will have to spend three days in hotel quarantine instead of the current seven. After their quarantine at a designated hotel, arrivals will undergo medical surveillance for four more days. And while they can go out, go to work or visit Mal's, they won't be able to enter high-risk places that check vaccine passes, such as bars and restaurants. Such people will be given a yellow code on their Leave Home Safe app to restrict their movements. And people currently in quarantine will be able to leave after three days of isolation, starting from today, providing that they test negative. Mainland China reported a total of 807 new COVID cases on Monday, with more than half centred on Hainan Island. A COVID-19 testing mandate was extended Sunday to the entire province of Hainan. The resort island has placed more cities, including the provincial capital Haiku, into lockdown, and 25,000 tourists were stuck in hotels in Sanya. The outbreak has spread to 10 cities and counties in Hainan and coincides with Hainan's peak travel season. Singapore Prime Minister Lee Hsien Loong warned yesterday that Asia faces decades of turbulence because of geopolitical challenges, including worsening US-China relations and the war in Ukraine. He said the next decades for the region would not be as stable and peaceful as those in recent years. Speaking ahead of tomorrow's National Day celebrations, he said US-China relations are worsening with intractable issues, deep suspicions and limited engagement between them. Furthermore, miscalculations or mishaps can easily make things much worse. He added that economic issues were also a challenge and with the world unlikely to return to low interest rates and inflation levels. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by James Wong at Leeds Securities and Nitin Dialdis of Mandarin Capital. With a view from Tokyo is Japan-based journalist and author William Pesic. On Wall Street overnight, U.S. stocks started the new week mixed following Friday's stellar jobs report, which has boosted expectations that the Federal Reserve will press on with its sharp pace of interest rate hikes to fight inflation. The S&P 500 lost 0.1% to end the session at 4,140, wiping out a rally of 1% from earlier in the day. The Dow held on to gains of 29 points, closing at 32,833. The Nasdaq Composite Index slipped 0.1% to 12,644, following a profits warning from NVIDIA. Shares of the chipmaker fell more than 6% and it dragged rival stocks such as AMD and Broadcom lower. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index was 0.7% stronger and the UK's FTSE 100 was 0.6% higher on the day. Stocks slipped in Hong Kong yesterday with traders concerned by new lockdowns in mainland China and a widening US-China rift over Taiwan. The Hang Seng Index 
dropped 156 points, that's 0.8%, to 20,046. The tech index lost 1.8%. The Shanghai Composite rose 0.3% to 3,237. Shares of Lifestyle International, the operator of Hong Kong's famous Sogo department store, surged by a record 50% in Hong Kong after its chairman Thomas Lau offered to take the company private. He's offered five Hong Kong dollars per share. That's a 62% premium from its closing trading price on Friday in a deal worth 1.88 billion Hong Kong dollars. That's 240 million US dollars. Cathay Pacific rose 1.4% after Hong Kong's hotel quarantine period for incoming passengers was cut from seven to three days. Shares of China Tourism Group Duty Free Corporation fell almost 5% in Shanghai after China's most important duty-free shopping market on Hainan was impacted by new lockdowns. In the commodities markets, Brewing Crude Oil recovered a little from last week's more than 10% fall, the biggest since April 2020. It's settled 2% higher at $96.52 a barrel. And gold is 0.8% firmer at $1,789 an ounce. Treasury yields retreated yesterday ahead of tomorrow's key U.S. consumer price inflation data. The yield on the 10-year Treasury note fell 10 basis points to 2.75%. The policy-sensitive two-year yield fell 4 basis points to 3.21%, leaving the yield curve inverted by 46 basis points. That's the most since August 2000. And the US dollar was lower on Monday. The euro, the euro is trading at $1.02. The bucks at 134.94 Japanese yen. Sterling is worth $1.20 and three quarter cents and nine Hong Kong dollars and 49 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.76 in offshore markets and Bitcoin has climbed around 2% to $23,800. Around Asia-Pacific stock markets this morning, a little bit quiet. Down in Australia, the SX200 is flat. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is off 0.4%. The Cosby in South Korea is up about 0.1%. And it looks like a a flat open for the Hang Seng later on this morning. Just gone 809. Let's welcome our guests on the phone this morning. We have James Wong, Chief Investment Officer and Managing Director at Lead Securities. Morning, James. Good morning, Peter. And over in our Queensway studio, we have Nissim Dialdis, who's the Chief Investment Officer at Mandarin Capital. Morning, Nissim. Good morning. As you heard earlier, John Lee has announced that from Friday, people arriving in the city will spend just three days in hotel quarantine instead of the current seven. And arrivals after their designated uh, period at a quarantine hotel will undergo medical surveillance for four more days. And while they can go out, go to work or visit mouths, they can't enter high-risk places such as uh, bars and restaurants. Such people will be given a yellow code on their Leave Home Safe app to restrict their movements. Um, Nitin, so quarantine's going to be cut from seven days to three days, plus this four days um, of health mo- monitoring. Um, it seems a bit like the health code system on the mainland, although not quite as draconian maybe, but will this work? I think it's a step forward. Um, I mean, the question, will this work, means is that going to get people coming back to Hong Kong? Probably not. 
Um, at the end of the day, if you're trying to do business, you, you can't take business people to bars, restaurants. They can't go to exhibitions and events. Um, it's literally only if they want to do face-to-face meetings at offices. Or um, I don't think you're going to attract too many people to come. And certainly tourists aren't going to come sit in a hotel for three days before they can actually go and see, see the city. But I guess everything's step by step. And that's a step forward towards where we eventually hope to get to. So can't mm. be too negative about it, can we? Some people are saying that this use of yellow codes doesn't really make sense if it's only used by travellers, given that there's thousands of cases now already being reported locally um, ev- every day. Do you think there's some merits to, to that? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit nonsensical. And also, close contacts, uh, they're not going to get the yellow um, coded either. So it literally is just the guys who've come into town. And what's bizarre is the fact they're the ones who are getting tested the most because they're going to be tested about four or five times. So actually... They're the ones who will catch before anyone in society, mm-hmm. and yet they're the ones who are kind of putting restrictions on. So it's a little bit strange. Um, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But as I said, for us, the end game is to have no quarantine until our free tra- freedom of travel. If this is the first step to get there, then you know, well, let, let, let's move that quickly. Then, mm. James, is this going to be enough to bring visitors, tourists, business people back to Hong Kong? I think it's more like uh, bringing Hong Kong people going overseas to visit or to travel. Uh, a lot of my peers are booking air tickets after they heard about this news because you know Hong Kong, Hong Kong has a very high uh, cost. There, there is a very high cost in uh, quarantine hotels in Hong Kong. When they uh, travel and travel back to Hong Kong, they need to stay in seven days. And uh, I think the the cheapest hotel, the quarantine hotel, costs about two thousand Hong Kong dollars per night. Uh, so if you are traveling abroad and come back, it's going to cost you seven days plus uh, $14,000 in quarantine cost. But mm. so right now, I think it's it's better because you can just spend three days in there. So 14000 is cut in half, more than half to 6000 And uh, and uh, I think the uh, it's, it's going to be easier for them to get a quarantine hotel slot because it's very hard right now. So you think the impact of this is going to be more people will travel out of Hong Kong, but we're not going to get people coming back in, into Hong Kong, tourists and business visitors. You don't think that's going to happen? Uh, I think it's going to help somewhat, but not as much, because Hong Kong is one of the few uh, cities in the world that still have pretty strict quarantine mm. rules. Uh, mm. It needs people to stay in hotels. Other places just uh, scratch the whole thing. And uh, I think it's going to help a little bit. It's it's uh, three days is a lot better than seven days or seven plus three days. Uh, it's, it's probably going to going to put some people in urgent business needs to come to Hong Kong, but not for the rest of them. I suppose the issue is that if you're overseas, um, you have a choice, don't you? You you can go nearly now everywhere in the world uh, yeah. with no quarantine at all, no health monitoring. When you arrive, you can go to bars or restaurants, or you say, okay, I could go to Hong Kong, have three days quarantine, can't go to bars and restaurants. It's sort of, it doesn't seem a very appetizing choice. Yeah, I think it's for people, like I said, uh, without too many options. Uh, mm. They probably have business needs to take care of in Hong Kong, or they need uh, to get to Hong Kong and then use Hong Kong as a doorway to go into mainland China. So they got to come. So uh, I think three days is still, uh, it's at, at least it's, uh, it gives them some kind of peace of mind that they don't need to stay in a, in a closed space for for uh, seven days. I, I was uh, falsely identified as a close contact about uh, two months ago and I was forced to stay in my home for seven days and, and, and it didn't make me happy. 
if it were if if it were three days, I think uh, I'm probably going to be living with that. Nitin, what about the financial conference in um, in uh, in the autumn, in November, designed to coincide with the Rugby Sevens, and the government's hope is that this will help relaunch Hong Kong as an international business and financial hub, remind people that we're open for business. Do you think this will now encourage global financial executives, senior financial executives, to come to Hong Kong for that? I think with the International Financial Conference, they would probably use a closed-loop system, much like they're going to do at the rugby players. Um, so you might get the 150 people that come here, but you're not going to get other people, like, or, or you'll get very few other people, maybe just the support, necess- necessary support staff that needs to come. Because mm. l- um, like James said, or like you've said, the whole world is open. What is the attraction of coming to Hong Kong? Now, Hong Kong's, yes, it's kind of a finance hub. Uh, we hope we're still going to retain that. Give, I mean, given the last two years, it's, it's kind of also that's on shaky ground. But you can't go to China. I mean, even when you come to Hong Kong, you do your three days quarantine. You go to China, you've got to do another seven days plus another mm-hmm. three days at home or at the hotel in, in China before you can even go out. You're not going to China. That was, you know, so that gateway into, into China is not necessarily there. Um, so what does Hong Kong offer? It, it offers a finance and legal hub. But if you're going to do an international finance conference but yet still have quarantine, Maybe you can attract those 150 people because you're going to tell them it's a closed-loop system. But beyond that, why would people bother? Mm. I, don't, I, I, mean, I, I don't see the point. I mean, you can watch it on TV or on Zoom or whatever rather than have to endure sitting in a hotel for three days and then not be able to go to bars, restaurants or entertain. It, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. That. So if, unless we do get a substantial number of people coming back to Hong Kong, tourists, uh, business travellers, then the government's hope that this will boost the economy and get us out of recession um, is not going to work, is it, unless we do see some significant numbers now fairly soon? Not at all. And we're still seeing a massive outflow. I mean, I can tell you in the last month alone, I've had out of about 50 people I've met, at least 25% of them have said they're leaving Hong Kong for good. So, on the contrary... As many as that, really, a quarter. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, like everyone I speak to now, I got fear when they say we're leaving Hong Kong because it used to be we're just going on holiday. Mm -hmm. And now, I mean, everyone I speak to is like, yep, we're leaving for good because they've just had enough. Um, And it's not not even just expats. It's locals as well. Mm. Um, And I think that's the problem. You've got a massive outflow. You've got no attraction to come in at the moment because, like... the whole the whole world is your choice now, you, mm. apart from Hong Kong. So, what is the attraction? What's going to make people suffer through three days, even at three days of quarantine? And it's technically four because now they're counting the first day as day zero. So, it's still technically four days of quarantine. What? Why would you want to do that? Why? Mm. You know, I don't. Yeah, I don't think anyone would actually choose that unless they've got really important business and they say, "Okay, we'll suck it up." James, what about the consumption vouchers? We, we've had them, uh, the second tranche, uh, issued on Sunday. Is that going to provide a boost to spending in the economy? Uh, probably not like the ones we got in April. Yeah, because you, you, you probably already know it's not a lot. It's 2,000 Hong Kong dollars. It's barely, mm. I don't know, a, a night of hotel stay, uh, mm. a, a, I, I'm wondering, barely a meal. Did, yeah. I, did I miss something there? Because I thought we were going to get $5,000 on, on Sunday. Maybe, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, and suddenly, when you look on the on your Octopus app, it says no 2000 and another two thousand, another 3000 later. Either yeah. I missed something or, yeah, or this has changed. Yeah, they announced it about a month and a half ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I must have missed that. Because I, 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 other people I know thought the same thing as well. It was 5000 was coming. Yeah, I thought I, I was looking at my phone and it says two thousand dollars voucher has been received, and I was like, "What am I gonna do with two thousand dollars? You can't really <laughs> buy electronics. Uh, you can't really 
like I said, staying at barely a hotel night stay. Uh, it's barely a meal at a upper class restaurant. And uh, $2,000, I think, is about uh, Hong Kong people, what, what they usually spend on, on traffic each month uh, to to and from work. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I don't think it's going to help that much with the consumptions at all. So the, the argument is, for, for doing this, is that it spreads out the boost to the economy over a longer period, over over several months rather than one. But then there's the, obvi- there's the other argument that it will be better off to have more to spend and then you can go and buy some big ticket um, uh, items. It sounds like you're not convinced about this idea that it will boost the economy for a longer period. Yeah, I'm not. The Hong Kong people are not poor. They are pretty rich, actually. There are one uh, in seven of them are uh, U.S. dollar uh, millionaires. Mm-hmm. So say you, they spend a lot of money, and two thousand dollars per month or per two months, so one thousand dollar per month, is really not going to boost their sense of wealth, and mm-hmm. it's not going to encourage them to spend more. So it's it's not enough, in my opinion. What do you think, Nissin? I think what people might do is they might just save this 2000 add it to the 3000 that come. I mean, obviously, if that's if you're not an octopus user, because octopus, for some reason, you have to spend it before you get your next one. But if you're on the other platforms, Alipay, WeChat, or uh, PayMe, or whatever, um, I think those people might just save their 2000 add it to 3000 and just buy their big-ticket item in October or November. So mm. <laughs> there'll be a minor boost for August, uh, guys who just use it for spending on meals or shopping uh, as in supermarket shopping or groceries but I think um, a, quite a lot of people probably save it at it to 3000 and you'll see a, probably a bigger boost come October November um, Let me ask you James about the markets particularly Hong Kong uh, sort of markets there's, there's an old adage isn't there that you should follow the capital follow people capital and people are leaving Hong Kong at the moment is that a worry for the markets? Uh, I think people is the people living in Hong Kong is because they're they're we're assuming they are not returning anytime soon. But capital is uh, is very fluid. It's very liquid. I think they they can come back if they want to. If they see an opportunity to invest, they will come back. And uh, right now we're seeing the outflow of money because I think it's pretty obvious there is a rate differential between Hong Kong and China, uh, Hong Kong and U.S. And uh, I think there's still some room to go because uh, we look at the aggregate uh, bank balance. Uh, right now, we're at about 100, 126 billion U.S. dollars. And at the beginning of the year, we were, we were looking at about 400 billion. But mm-hmm. last time when the HKMA came out and defend the, uh, the Hong Kong dollars pack with the, the greenback, uh, the aggregate bank balance was at one point as low as uh, 16 billion US dollars. So we still have some we still have some room to go, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's going to be a big problem for the uh, capital markets. And the Hang Seng now is down um, about 10 uh, t- 10% from its June high. So it's back in correction territory, and it's also wiped out now more than half of that rebound that we've had since it bottomed this year in, in mid-March. Do you think there's more to go? Uh, I, I doubt there is there is a lot more to go. There, there probably be going to be some downward overshoot, but uh, I think the, all the uh, the negative factors, the overhand, well, we've already seen the uh, geopolitical tensions, the uh, uh, real estate uh, flow over, the uh, uh, the earnings season disappointments. Uh, the earnings season remains a question because we are still seeing some discrepancies between earnings uh, sentiment and earnings uh, revision. Mm-hmm. And it's on the positive side. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping there were some positive earning results uh, coming out 
at the uh, beginning of this month towards uh, actually throughout this month and uh, I think I think there is some hope. It's in a lot of focus on the Fed at the moment and also tomorrow's inflation data out of the US following that stellar jobs report on Friday. Um, a big debate now about whether or not we've reached uh, the, the most aggressive the Fed could be. Suddenly people are starting to bet again on another 75 basis point rate increase in se- September. Yeah, um, I think the inflation numbers... as. Uh, will still be relatively high so the chances of us are probably they might probably reduce it maybe it's 50 basis point hike rather than a 75 basis point hike and i think that a lot of that is just because the recent prices have started to come down a little bit i mean you're seeing now brent at about 95 dollars new york crude at 90 um so if you look at some of the key metrics in terms of what they will or key inflation uh plays they are starting to come down, but the wage side is, or the job growth side is something that they've got now got to be aware of. So I think they'll probably play it a little bit safe and go for a 50 basis point hike. And then Hong Kong's got to start following suit, as James said, because there's not much more <laughs> that they can just keep, um, certainly the banks, they just can't keep prime rate at, at these levels for that much longer. And what sort of impact will that have on the property market? Uh, further negative impact. Um, again, the good thing is on the secondary home side that there's 50% equity, so... There's not going to be a mass uh, rush of forced sales or mass rush of people going into negative equity. Um, but you will see an impact in the sense, same pro- I mean, your, your mortgage costs are going up. People will start trying to maybe offload some of their property. Um, so it'll have a bit of a negative uh, impact for sure. Okay, thank you both very much. You heard Dennis Indialdus, Chief Investment Officer at Mandarin Capital. James Wong, who's Chief Investment Officer and Managing Director at Leeds Securities. <laughs> You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. RTHK Radio 3. Times 8.24 on the phone from Tokyo is journalist and author William Pesic. Morning, William. Good morning, Peter. Um, let me ask you about uh, all the things that are going on in the Taiwan Strait at the moment uh, with the military drills from, from China. Japan obviously is concerned about this. What's Japan's reaction been to, to all this uh, action being taken by China in the Taiwan Straits? Well, I mean, Japan certainly stands with uh, the U.S. at the moment. I mean, I think that there's very little daylight between Prime Minister Kishida and President Biden in terms of policy. And I think in many ways, Japan is largely deferring to Washington to figure out um, the kinds of signals coming out of there. But I think in many ways, you know, for Prime Minister Kishida, this is one of those uh, geopolitical crises that I'm not sure he saw coming and comes at a rather bad time uh, in terms of his efforts to uh, reshuffle his cabinet, in terms of his efforts to revive the economy and to reboot economic reforms going forward. I mean, having um, a sort of you know, open hostility with your largest trading partner, China, is never a good thing. And I think mm-hmm. in many ways Japan is, I think, you know, I think in some ways Kishida thinks that Japan can play a kind of middleman role between the U.S. and China here, perhaps a bit of a, an, a somewhat of an honest broker between uh, diplomacies with the two. But, you know, for Japan, the timing of this is, um, it's inconvenient. Does it change the thinking in Japan about its <clears throat> own self-defense measures and also what it would do if China were to actually invade Taiwan? It's a very good question. I mean, one of the big, the big uh, issues for Kishida is, does he pick up the Shinzo Abe effort to revive, revise the Article 9 of Japan's World War II constitution to allow Japan 
to field a more uh, conventional offensive military. And I think in some ways you can argue that the events of the last 10 days could actually buttress that argument for Kushida. And I think, you know, frankly, I think China's done itself uh, no favors here with its incredible and wild overreaction to Nancy Pelosi visiting Taiwan. I mean, I don't remember the last time anyone knew or cared when a Speaker of the U.S. House went anywhere. And I think that China's overreaction here has said more about where Xi Jinping is and his own insecurities about his leadership than anything that the U.S. or, or Japan is doing. But I think in many ways, this probably could influence the debate in Japan in a direction that Xi Jinping will not like and in some ways will have to take, uh, take the blame for. And how big a setback is this to U.S.-China relations? I mean, there's a sort of decoupling while well, decoupling was going on anyway. That seems to have intensified now because China has cut off discussions on things like climate change. Um, is, is this a big setback to U.S.-China relations? Well, it is to some extent, but I think in many ways that the Biden-Xi relationship has been a lot of political kabuki, right? There's been a lot of talk about talking. There hasn't been a lot of substantive efforts to uh, basically fix the relationship that was so fractured during the Trump years. And I think, you know, one of the the biggest disappointments for me with uh, President Biden is that he has largely stuck with a lot of the Trump-era policies towards China. I think in some ways you can argue that he's been distracted with other things, and he's felt that, you know, China, I'll get to that. Mm. But I think in many ways, I was hoping he would remove a lot more of the trade tariffs that Trump had slapped on. I was hoping that he would sit down with President Xi and speak in a more substantive. And I think in many ways, one of the big concerns here is there's very little communication channel between the world's two most important powers at this point. Mm. We have to change that. We have to do better. And I think in many ways it, it falls to President Biden to pick up the phone and figure out a way to do that. But I suppose that it does make it harder now, doesn't it, for Biden to remove those uh, trade sanctions, given what's happened the last few days, uh, because it's going to come under a lot of pr- domestic political pressure in the U.S. You know, I, I think, I mean, that, that is a very good point. But I have a slightly different view on this. I think in many ways, if you think about what would have happened If Nancy Pelosi had listened to China and said, okay, I will not visit Taiwan right now, I think that President Biden would have had a very different crisis on its hand. The Republicans in the U.S. would have gone ballistic. Fox News would have gone, you know, basically crazy about how Biden is soft on China. Maybe his son does business there. So I think in many ways you can argue that Nancy Pelosi going to China gives President Biden a a little more street cred, if you will, with regard to negotiating with China. So I think it'll be interesting to see how things go. I I really do think that we in the media are overreacting to China's overreaction. I think the best Mm -hmm. thing to do is China's having a tantrum. Um, It's it's something we have to watch, it's not pretty. But let's take a deep breath and just understand that I think a month from now, we won't be talking about this. And what's the impact on already fragile supply chains? 60% of the world's shipping containers pass through the Taiwan Strait. As we know, Taiwan is the world's biggest exporter of semiconductors, but it also exports other things as well, petro- uh, liquid uh, petroleum gas. Um, also, you know, it's, it's an important region, isn't it, for supply chains? Yes. yes, and also you're going to see a lot more military hardware in close proximity, right? I mean, you are going to see the U.S., patrolling uh, the, the seas a lot more actively in the, in the Asia-Pacific. Um, you'll probably see Japan putting more uh, you know, naval vessels into the water, and you will have a lot more risk of day-to-day 
you know, physical contact between the U.S. and China, Japan and China. So, you know, that itself is inherently dangerous. You will see, you know, more sort of, you know, MiG fighters in the air um, coming into conflict with one another potentially. So that is something we'll have to watch. But I, I still tend to think that this is a big overreaction, not just from China, but I think from we in the media too. And again, I, I really don't think that – I think about the Afghanistan moment where when Joe Biden pulled out of Afghanistan – Everyone said, oh, my God, this is the end of the world. And a month later, no one talked about it. And I think that a month from now, uh, Biden and she will be talking about talking more and we'll move on to other things. I could be very wrong about that, but mm. that's my gut feeling. OK, William, thank you very much. That's Tokyo-based journalist and author William Pesic. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In Tokyo, uh, the Nikkei 225 right now is up a quarter of a percent in Australia. The ASX 200 rising 0.1%. The Cosby is down about 0.2%. Looks like it's going to be a flat open for the Hang Seng in just under an hour's time. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock with Money Talk. Back chats coming up after the news with Jim Gould and Ada Wong. The weather forecast for today, cloudy, squally showers. Uh, and severe squally thunderstorms, which are going to be heavy at times. The temperatures are going to linger around 29 degrees during the day. There is a thunderstorm warning in force. The standby signal number one is also in force. It's 28 degrees right now, 81% relative humidity. Time's 8.32. Here's Andrew Shrosky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. Business leaders and political parties have welcomed the government's decision to cut hotel quarantine for people arriving in Hong Kong to three days from seven. The DAB says it believes the government has struck a balance between public health risks and economic activity. But one of its lawmakers, Holden Chow, said business is now hoping for a clear strategy going forward. We would expect there will be an increase of inbound travelers, especially for business purpose. But at the same time, we have received the feedback from the business community. They welcome the decision made by the government, but they also expect a timetable to be given by the government on how to further relax the travel restrictions or even ultimately scrap the requirement on quarantine. And it's very important for the economy of Hong Kong. The hospital authority is warning parents to look out for signs of croup in children with COVID, saying that they should contact a doctor immediately. It comes after a 20-month-old girl required treatment in intensive care after testing positive for COVID on Friday. Her condition is now stable. A chief manager of the hospital authority, Lau Kahin, described the symptoms. When the patient gets the infections of the airway, the airway will swell and blockage the, the airflow, which can be a life-attending situation. Pediatrician wants to appeal to the public, especially for the parents, that if you find your child who has suffered from viral infection, for example, COVID-19 infection, and show difficulty in breathing, increasing breathing rate, and also suck some sucking of the uh, intercostal spaces and also maybe some hoarseness of the voices. Some what we call strider is some, some high-pitched sound during the breathing. Please bring the child to see the doctor or, or to go to the emergency department as soon as possible. The singer and actress Olivia Newton-John has died at the age of 73. Born in Britain, she grew up in Australia and went on to be a star in Hollywood. Best known for playing the role of Sandy Olsen in the musical Grease, the BBC's David Stilto looks back at her life.
1978, Greece was the biggest film of the year. And for a young country singer called Olivia Newton-John, it changed everything. Born in Britain and brought up in Australia, she'd won a talent contest aged 15 and decided to be a singer. She worked with Cliff Richard, represented Britain at the Eurovision Song Contest, and then switched to country and moved to America, which led to Greece. After that came the film Xanadu, and then the single Physical, which was a departure from her girl-next-door image. In 1992, she was diagnosed with cancer.